0: So many of the folks in later life who we know are beginning to feel more isolated and disconnected than was their identity earlier in life. Even those who identify as extroverted for most of their lives begin to feel acutely disconnected, irrelevant, or sometimes even invisible. For those who are accustomed to living their lives as solos in the past, they too can gradually feel more isolated as they approach life in the later decades.
1: Hi everyone, this is B.B. Peters, together with Dr. Andrea gould Marks, and you're listening to Boom Talk Media. It's with great pleasure that we welcome Dana Kennedy, the Executive Director of AARP Arizona, to this conversation.
0: Dina, we're here today to learn how AARP is working to help members manage and maintain a more satisfying and well-connected life. Welcome, Dina. So happy to have you.
2: Thank you, Bibi and Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here today.
1: Well, this is you know such a huge and important topic that we're going to dive into, social isolation. So one of the first questions that we sort of want to ask you is, how do you and AARP define that subject, social isolation? So social
2: isolation refers to a lack of social interaction and meaningful connections, leaving many people feeling lonely and disconnected from their communities. And I think we know that this is really compounded during COVID.
1: It certainly has. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Have you sensed that from your members? Have they expressed a need for greater communication, connection, relationships? Have you heard that it had increased during COVID?
2: Well, I know that I can speak for myself, even I was socially isolated um, during COVID. And we went home one day and we were told to take our devices and we were going to test working from home remotely. That was in early March, 2020. And before you know it, we were asked to work from home the next couple of weeks. So I think that during COVID, we were locked down. Everybody experienced it differently. But I know for our members, they really were impacted, especially those who lived in a congregate living setting, including assisted living facilities, smaller group homes, long-term care facilities. But then even though people who were aging in place in their own homes, everything that we were told was to stay home, isolate, and to protect ourselves, and that we were doing this for the greater good. And there was so much more that we know now, but so much we didn't know then as far as what this virus was doing. As a state director, you know, I've focused on long-term care facilities for quite some time. And I was watching what was happening outside the long-term care facility outside of Seattle, Washington, which was the first long-term care facility that really had a case of COVID. And it spread like wildfire in that facility. And the PR person for the facility was actually doing press conferences every single day. And they were talking about how many people had contacted COVID and how many people they were sending to the hospital. And then um, even how many people had died. And I think it really sent shockwaves to me. And we knew that we needed to protect everybody, but in protecting everybody, it meant that we had to learn to live socially isolated lives. And we had to question every single thing that we did. And every time we left our house, if we were protecting ourselves, we just didn't know enough. So, you know, I know that it had a drastic impact, especially on our older population, because if you look at the people who had died from COVID, like 90% were people 60 and over. And of course, the longer you live, the more chronic conditions you have. And we kept hearing from the Department of Health how this was impacting people with chronic conditions. So people were trying to protect themselves, but then also living these socially isolated lives. So we learned to turn towards video and the telephone again, and we found creative ways to be able to connect. But we're social beings, so to become socially isolated was really challenging.
0: And it was really hard, I think, psychologically for every generation, because every generation had connections with older folks, with their grandparents, with anybody who was older. And the psychological habit of staying separate. Seemed to kind of sink in because I remember even myself driving, you know, after things opened up a little bit, or we had it down to a science how to protect ourselves. But being out there in the world after traffic had stopped, I think there was also kind of a psychological reset about hanging back, about not interacting. It just, in general, it becomes, even when we speak to people today, it becomes almost that it was habitual, like there was an evolutionary change in the way we related. And most particularly hard hit were the people that had recently retired or in the middle of a divorce or had recently been widowed or recently experiencing empty nest or relocation or the kind of chronic illness that just kept them down and out of social situations, or living alone in a big house, even. So this now became regardless, I mean, definitely the over 50 population fits into all of those categories. But the spreading effect of that kind of holding back feeling even guilty, feeling mildly uncomfortable to severely uncomfortable when people were
1: around you or next to you, we're still seeing the effects of that. And also, Andrea, you were just talking about the words, a habitual thing. And I was thinking all along, that once you are sort of ingrained into the aloneness, into the isolation process because of necessity, that makes it even harder to reach out and expand your circle of friends or social activities. So it's breaking now, right? Are people more inclined to think about how to break the habits that they got into?
0: Well first they need to recognize that they did get into habits. So my most of my work life is spent talking to people who for one reason or another are needing to be in contact to examine how they've changed or how they'd like to change over the over this last period of time and how they'd like to change now. A couple of things that seem to be characteristic One of them was really interesting to me that people's body clocks changed. So, you know, the difference between sleep and wakefulness began to be blurry. And people who weren't necessarily night owls, because they weren't getting up and going in the morning, began to adjust themselves to being night owls, that they would be staying up all night and even sleeping during the day. This habit, really changed not only the body clock of sleep wakefulness but of eating and exercising and doing all the things that they were used to doing first thing in the morning or before they went to work or walking with friends at work you know in in the corporate park or whatever that was one of the big changes that i still see affecting people things like making plans people became less willing to make plans in advance might have been easy to say, like, it's September now, we'll get together in October. But in 2020, 21, 22, there was a reluctance to make plans.
1: I just want to ask one question, Dana. So are you hearing more about this issue from men or women? What is the feedback that you're getting? Well, I think,
2: you know, you have to actually go to what the cause of the social isolation is. The underlying issue from the pandemic was COVID, but we've had social isolation, especially with seniors before COVID. COVID made it worse. But if you think about the causes of social isolation, it could be a loss of loved ones. So a lot of people lost loved ones. So the passing of family members, they can feel isolated without a support system. Um, Health challenges. A lot of people had health challenges during COVID, even before COVID, but then also during COVID. And then because of social isolation, they may have experienced more health health challenges. So some people are having physical limitations, chronic conditions, restrict seniors' mobility, making it harder to engage in social activity. And then there's just geographical barriers. So some people live in senior communities, which they are coming back and they've got social activities. But those who don't, so they may live in rural areas, their health could cause those geographical barriers. They may not have access to transportation. They may not have those opportunities for social engagement. So I think that these things happen to both men and women. We know that often women live longer than men. So I think that more women are likely to experience it. But that means that if you are a man who has survived, you may have lost all of your friends. I know my great-grandfather lived to be 99 years old, and he came to live with my mom and myself, so he didn't have that social isolation that a lot of his friends encountered. However, he kept saying, I'm losing all of my friends, and the longer you live, the more likely you are to lose those social support systems, so then you rely on your family. Well, we know if you rely on your family, you know, the younger generations— are very busy taking their kids or working or developing their career. And then they could make those younger people could feel guilty that they're not spending all the time that they should or want to with their older relatives as well.
1: Well, kudos to you for bringing your great-grandfather on to live with you. I was just thinking of the blue zones and what are the elements of those people living to 100 and more, right? And it's exactly what you just said and did. It's having that community of family, of living with grandparents and children and adults in the home that support each other. That's like one or two top things. Yep,
2: it sure is. And my great grandfather, I mean, he was very functional, but he lost his first wife when he was in his seventy early 70s. He remarried. And I remember the wedding and everything else of them getting married. And then he thought that she would definitely live to take care of him, as he would say. And then she died. And left him alone, so he had macular degeneration, so he wasn't able to drive anymore. So he came to live with his daughter and my grandmother, and that was like oil and water. It did not go well at all. So then he came to live with my mom and myself. I was in high school when he came to live with us. But Gramps was funny and he loved to do things. He loved to go to the grocery store. People would come pick him up and take him out on the boat. We lived in a lake community. And probably our little lake community was its own little blue zone. But my grandfather lived a very healthy life. And, you know, I think that's partly why he lived to be a hundred or ninety-nine, almost a hundred.
0: What an ideal situation. Oh, I loved it. He was positive aging, so
2: I don't understand why people have a negative outlook in aging because my gramps was so happy and thriving, and he was the life of the party, and he was very social, but he also liked to do things with us. So for me, I watched my gramps you know, age, but he didn't really decline all that bad. He walked every day. He walked down to the lake, and he gardened, he watered the trees, and he did things that provided meaning to him and as well as my mom and myself.
0: Do you think that had anything to do with you going into the field that you went into?
2: It absolutely did. And part of the reason why I didn't understand why my gramps and his daughter didn't get along so well. And it really had me question that role reversal. And I think that's where you start to see a lot of friction um, in relationships with grandparents and mothers and daughters and grandparents is because there starts to be a role reversal. And all of a sudden, the children start imposing how they should take care of themselves onto their parents and grandparents when normally it's the opposite. So for me, it was kind of like, well, why is it that we start to resort into thinking that we need to tell people how they need to age? when they're actually aging really well and if we allow them to do that but for some reason this parental effect happens with children of aging parents and i just found it fascinating so i wanted to go to school and learn more about it and also counsel people regarding how to how to do it better so families got along better
0: this episode is brought to you by boom talk media Our little books that we call Relieflets includes the title Relief from Worrying, Small Ideas with Big Benefits for All of Us. You can find this tiny guidebook on our website. Visit boomtalkmedia.com or search on Amazon under Relief from Worrying. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Reach out to us through info at boomtalkmedia.com.
1: Social Security belongs to you. You work hard and pay into it, so it's only fair for you to expect to get the money you've earned to help cover living expenses and bills, and not for politicians to use as a piggy bank. That's why AARP is fighting to protect your Social Security, so you get what you've earned. Learn more at aarp.org forward slash youearnedit. That's AARP.org forward slash you earned it paid for by AARP.
0: Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Boom Talk Media. This is Andrea Goldmarks with my co-host, B2B Peters. Now let's rejoin the podcast. So that leads us into the very next question, which is, what is AARP doing? What can AARP do to address this whole issue, minimizing the isolation and maximizing the participation?
2: First of all, we need to understand the effects of social isolation on mental health and what it can cause. And part of that is depression and anxiety. Many people who are socially isolated, they're vulnerable and they, de- they start to develop more depression and anxiety and being aware of that. You know, we hear a lot more about mental health than we ever have. And as a social worker, it used to be something that was taboo as far as going to a therapist. And if we did it, we did it in secret. And now everybody seems to talk about their therapist and they've got a great positive relationship and they're not doing it in shame anymore. Social isolation can also lead to cognitive decline and it increases the risk of developing conditions like Alzheimer's and dementia. So we've been working a lot to develop dementia friendly communities, communities where people who have cognitive decline can still thrive in a community. I think that sometimes we need to be able to better communicate with people who are starting to experience cognitive decline so that person doesn't isolate further. Because the more they isolate, the more they're likely to decline even more. And social isolation can decrease the quality of life. We're always trying to help people live their best lives, encouraging people to get out and about, take care of their mental health, stay active. And we're always talking about health and wellness. So a lot of the programs that AARP focuses on in the community talk about educating. People like to continue to learn. People like to continue to grow. We're also trying to connect communities together with our aging and place communities, our livable communities. Livable communities is looking at housing, making sure that housing is affordable, transportation, our public spaces, our public parks. And we're doing a lot on brain health these days, a lot of education on brain health and making sure that people understand the connection between diet and nutrition and brain health, how important sleep is. You know, we should all be prioritizing sleep. Um, Andrea, I think you were just talking about how people have changed, you know, those sleeping behaviors. And you definitely need to try and get eight hours of sleep and make sure that you're doing everything to sleep well, and set yourself up for a successful night of sleeping. You should try to aim for that every single night, not just a few nights a week. It should be ongoing.
0: And I also have a question about social isolation and hearing loss. What do you find is the case there? Are there any solutions that AARP can get behind? Because for many people, as we age and our friends are aging, and we see that the lack of being able to hear well, let's just say, being out to dinner in a restaurant, and it's clattering, and that person begins to hang back and, and and get withdrawn. You can really see the beginnings of social isolation with respect to hearing loss.
2: So you raise a really great point regarding hearing loss, and people should make sure that they get their hearing checked and make sure that everything is Working as it should. And if you do have hearing loss that we're making it in the Inflation Reduction Act, that one thing we got passed was, you know, the ability to get affordable hearing aids. Usually they were so expensive. So make sure you talk to your insurance provider and your health care provider regarding hearing aids and don't be ashamed of using them and then with technology anymore you can get some high tech hearing aids as well where you can actually connect it with your phone and then you can turn it up and on and then you can kind of do sound reduction in the background because sometimes that's a problem nobody should be ashamed if they cannot hear so talk to your doctor about that there does seem to be some connection between dementia and hearing loss so it's even more important i think part of that could be the isolation that people start to experience if they aren't able to hear. So they may no longer enjoy or participate in that conversation because they can't follow it because they can't hear. So maybe it's not so much the disconnection with a cognitive impairment. It actually could be related to more to hearing loss. And if you can't hear, you can't remember what you didn't hear, right? Right. Oh,
0: so it's all, it's
2: all connected. Yeah. Like, didn't you just hear what I said?
1: Well, yeah, no, I didn't, right?
2: You remember I don't because I didn't hear it, you know, but I don't want to that I didn't hear it because that might be that I'm old and we don't want to talk about me being old. I always get asked, well, what is old? And usually the answer that most people will
1: say is somebody who's 10 years older than you. And to me, that's so funny. The other day I said to my partner, when would you feel old? And my answer was that, If you're hunched back and you're walking with a cane and you barely can make the next step, that to me is like a picture of old. Not that that's bad. We're all going to get there sooner than not. But that, in my mind, that's the definition of old. And see, that is the
2: definition of potentially looking old or having some mobility issues, but doesn't mean that somebody who's younger might have withstand an accident or has some muscle atrophy, that they could be old or look old. But that doesn't necessarily mean we are old. But as far as aging, what drives me insane is any product that says anti-aging. Ageism seems to be the last acceptable ism that our society is
0: accepting. And we all need to challenge that ism. Can AARP relate to the idea of intergenerational programs? Because I know that for, I mean, even for people who are 60 and more or people who haven't had their own children, to, to be in the place with a young people. I mean, on the one hand, one young people who can help you with technology or help, teach you about technology because like you mentioned technology can be a very friendly skill to have particularly you know using apps in order to stay connected or to be able to hear better with the new technology for hearing devices are there any programs where it's mutually beneficial for young people to be visiting with and working with older people and receiving some of the wisdom and mentoring that they they possess?
2: You know, some of some of the programs are intentional and some are just happen, but I feel like there's one model in the West Valley of Maricopa County, just outside of Sun City, where there is a daycare center for adults who have dementia and a bus will come pick them up, take them to this daycare center. It's called Bienavilla. And then there is a daycare center for children right next door. And intentionally, once a day, the older residents or participants interact with the children. And I feel like that is a very beautiful thing. And, you know, there is a shared mutual activity that they do together. There are absolutely some technology classes as well that, again, are intentional where younger people are trying to teach older people how to use devices and technology. We have a program called OATS. We do a lot of online technical training for people so we make sure that we minimize that digital divide. But then the other thing that I absolutely love that AARP is doing is working with cities and city councils to develop what we call age-friendly communities. There are many cities in just in the state of Arizona but we're booming across the country, no matter where your listeners are, to develop these age-friendly communities. And the concept, the basic concept, is that we're building communities intentional where you can raise a family and retire. And so you have programs and services and communities to do throughout your lifetime. Scottsdale is actually going through three different phases, the city of Scottsdale, which is considered a top model age-friendly community. They're doing age-friendly communities, they're doing dementia-friendly, and they're also doing the Blue Zone. And the Blue Zone, to me, is kind of age-friendly on steroids, where you're really looking at you're working with restaurants, you're working with businesses to make sure that there are healthy options available. They're looking at connectivity, there are bike lanes, there are safe sidewalks. There are crosswalks where people can walk, get across the street without taking their life in their own hands. There's public transportation. There are greenways and beltways. And they're really doing everything to make sure that their communities are connected, but then also that a senior doesn't need to leave Scottsdale where they raise their family to go and retire into a retirement community. Because it's all right there in their community. So why would you even think of leaving your own community to go into a retirement community? I think that we started to really look at all these retirement communities and many people were leaving where they worked and lived and their families were nearby and they went into a retirement community with with this active lifestyle. Well, shouldn't an active lifestyle be available wherever you live at any age? Right.
1: No, I love that. And I love the breadth of products and information that AARP delivers to the members. It really blows my mind to put my arms around it because it is delivered in so many different ways, in classes, in movies, in magazines, in online publications, and so on and so on. And it's, you always, you always touch on the very surface of what's happening in our community, in our society. It's not like you lag like, oh yeah, no, we already talked about that 15 years ago or five years ago. No, you're on top. You are right there addressing those issues. And so I I just want to be like the national spokesperson for AARP.
2: You know, I'll tell you, our CEO, Joanne Jenkins, is just such a phenomenal leader. You know, when I I first started right after she started, and one of the very first things that she did is she created an innovation lab. And anybody in the organization could go through this I-6 training, which helped us all think about innovation. And she also wanted us to embrace failure. And don't be afraid to fail. Try new things. We no longer say, well, we already do that, or we did that, and or we tried it. And it's like, well, what you tried in the 70s isn't going to work in 2020. So why would you bring out something, you know, say that something failed in 1970s, and say that it's going to fail in 2020? Did we ever think that we would be at a day and age where we would look at autonomous vehicles as being being something that could help seniors age in place. I know, that's an amazing idea. And, you know, when I went, when they first launched in Arizona, the Waymo vehicles, and I talked about my great-grandfather, and I said, you know, he didn't have to uproot himself to come live with my mom and myself, had an autonomous vehicle been something that he was, that was readily available. You know, in hindsight, he probably lived a better life coming to live with my mom and myself. Mm -hmm. But that's not the point. The point is, people deserve to have options. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't shut down those options because we don't believe that an autonomous vehicle is safe. And when people tell me I would never get in one of those, and I think, well, I would never get behind the wheel with half of the people that I look driving on the streets. They're speeding down the road, you know, they're almost hitting people crossing the sidewalk and people are talking about autonomous vehicles. Well, you know what? They're going to see that. They're going to see that person about to step onto the sidewalk and they're going to stop. They're not going to speed. It may drive people crazy that an autonomous vehicle is going to go the speed limit, but they're going to go the speed limit because that's what the speed limit is. And we have a speed limit because that is the safe limit.
0: What else is going on in the Innovation Lab? I'm loving hearing about this.
2: I mean, we actually have had some things. It's like, almost like a shark tank, where if you have an idea, come to these aging like 2.0, and they're kind of like, pitch your idea, and AARP will fund some of those ideas. Wow. But we also have community challenge grants that we're now doing every single year. And in these community challenge grants, people can ask for basically micro funding for an idea that they may have and say, I've got this idea. This is the people that I think that it could reach. And this is how it's going to improve the community. And they need to basically have a shovel ready project. And it's going to get funded around June now. And it needs to be completed by the end of the year. So what we found is we've got more community gardens because we've helped fund community gardens. We've had shaded bus stops, which may not be a big deal to somebody who drives, but for somebody who has to sit outside waiting for a bus in 110 degrees, that shade is going to be welcoming to them. There's all kinds of different things that we have funded, millions of dollars in funding for just ideas that people have. The Innovation Lab is basically a place to come with your ideas and kind of incubate it and figure out how can we make this idea, concept, a reality. And if somebody fails, then they fail. It's okay. But if if we're always afraid to fail, then you're never going to take the risks that are needed to really fix the demand. And I always say, these young people who know technology and grew up with a device in their hand. We just need to get out of their way and they're gonna solve our aging problems. One thing that I think we funded was a grandson actually realized that he needed to develop a wearable device on his grandfather if his grandfather wandered. So now we have the technology, the tracking devices for people. We also have technology now that with all these smart homes, if you're caregiving from across the country, You can put technology in a home that's not too invasive, but to be able to monitor where they might be in the home and then making sure that they get out of bed and making sure that you can regulate the thermostat. So there's a lot of different technology that is available now to help people age in place. So it's kind of exciting.
1: It is exciting. I think that we're coming into the era when we then begin to age in place. We're going to be, the environment will be so much richer in what it brings and the possibilities and opportunities to do just that. But before we wrap our conversation up, I just wanted to ask Dana, so for our listeners, what's the best way to stay in touch with AARP?
2: I mean, I think we have a wealth of information no matter where you live. And all you really have to do is go to aarp.org forward slash local. And once you go to that address, aarp.org forward slash local, you can type in your zip code. And what's going to happen is all these different programs and education opportunities will come up in your community. If there's no in-person opportunities in your community, then there's online opportunities in your community. We also have a create the good website. We know that volunteering, making sure that you have opportunities to give back and that provide hope and meaning to your life, that that's important. So we have a website, create the good. And there you can also say, I want to volunteer with teenagers, at-risk teenagers. And I just want to volunteer once. I want to see what it's like before I commit. And then it will populate different opportunities for you, depending on the population you would like to work with and the different nonprofit organizations that are looking for volunteers. So it's basically a volunteer match program. Fantastic. It was created by AARP, but really we are just the website, the platform to connect local nonprofits to volunteer opportunities. And we have nothing to do with it after that. The nonprofits can go ahead and say, I need 10 volunteers for Saturday to paint some sidewalks. And somebody can say, I have Saturday available. What's available in my community? And they can go to that create the
0: good.org. That's fabulous. And what a great title for it. Create the good. What an optimistic note to land on and how delightful to feel your enthusiasm. It leaves us very inspired and
2: hopeful. We're going to talk about social isolation. We want to make sure that we're creating opportunities to decrease it. And I think that's exactly what we're doing. And we're really looking at, you know, the strategies to combat social isolation with community engagement, transportation support, technology resources, and as you mentioned earlier, intergenerational
1: programs. Fabulous. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us and much more to come in the future with the amazing Dana Kennedy. Thank you.
0: Thank you both. I appreciate your time. Bye for now.
1: Bye-bye. This program was brought to you by Boom Talk Media, where we inspire and nurture the human journey. For more healing insights, and links to our books and blogs, visit our website at boomtalkmedia.com. And join us next time.